0: All right would you pray with me heavenly father we thank you that you are our god um, and that we are your people um, how good it is to be your people and how good it is to have a god like you um i pray for this time lord that your name would be exalted um you are the point, God. You are the one that we want to see. Um, so Lord, would I disappear and would you, um, would you appear and would you be shown, would you be seen? Uh, would you teach us to live in your wonderful grace, um, also to embrace all that it means to be your disciple? Um, would you please fill me with your spirit at this time um, for the good of your church? Lord, would you build us up, build our faith? Uh, we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. As Anson said, uh, my name is Sam. And um, while the team is in Malawi, um, Pastor Roy asked me to to share. So not so much a sermon, but more so he asked, hey, would you just share something that God has been teaching you? Something over the past couple years that God has been putting on your heart. And so after some reflection, um, I decided on a topic um, just one of the lessons that God has been teaching me over the past couple of years of uh, what it really just means to be a disciple, of what it means to to follow Him, and um, hopefully in sharing this, it's not just something that I experienced, um, just God giving me some clarity in. But uh, I know there's some takeaways for all of us in that, and we also um, I did want to spend some time towards the end praying for um, for the team um, that that is on their way to Malawi, and they'll be ministering there for the next two weeks. Um, so to kind of set the stage, to set the context for this journey that you know God has kind of taken me on, um, it has to do with two undeniable truths that I saw just reading through Scripture um, day by day. Um, and at first, they seemed hard to put together um, for me. Um, and that is, on one hand, The free and undeniable fact that grace is free and that grace is a gift and our salvation is a gift. And also the cost that we all have as disciples, the cost of discipleship. Um, So we know that there is no contradiction in in the word of God. Um, We know that everything works together so beautifully and so perfectly. So I knew that there was there's something I'm missing what what am I not understanding to be able to put these together in um, in a way to be able to live the life that Christ calls us all to live um, and I found in in being able to put these two things together we really see the beauty of the Christian life come together um, and the Christian life is really is a beautiful um, a beautiful life so the just um, to kind of set the stage I just wanted to just give you some quick. Bible passages to kind of give you a little taste of what, I'm, what I was seeing. None, none of these are probably unfamiliar to you. Uh, but the first is Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in this passage we see the, the sufficiency of Christ and for our salvation um, he says, by grace you have been saved, as if it's a past tense uh, already. It's it's like it's happened already. It's good as complete. And we see that it's not our own doing, but it's a gift. So it's, it doesn't come in response to something that we do for him. Um, it comes as a gift without anything in us that causes it. Um, so nothing other than the free and generous grace of God is the sole reason that any of us are sitting here as are, as saved. The second one, um, and these are just a little taste. I mean, there's, there's a lot more that we could go through, but um, another one, Galatians 2.16. Uh, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So as you read the sentence, and if you look a little bit closer, it's, it almost seems awkward. It kind of goes back and forth saying the same thing, um, but Paul is really wanting to nail one specific point, that we are legally declared to be right with God, not on the basis of anything in us, um, but on the basis of Christ's work. Um, so this foundation of grace being a gift, our salvation being a gift, it's free, is a very solid foundation um, of our Christian life. What about uh, the other truth? Following Christ will cost us everything. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains his whole life but forfeits his soul? Or what can he give in return for his soul? So Jesus says pretty clearly in this passage that anyone who would follow him um, must put their life, their entire life in his hands um, and their will is submitted to him no matter what it costs. And the idea of taking up your cross, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that our will is in complete submission to him. So no matter what he asks of us, no matter what it costs, um, he is the one calling the shots. And this is not, you know, an isolated verse. You know, as you read through the New Testament, you'll see it in all over the place um, that there is a cost to discipleship. I just wanted to highlight one more. Um, Same book in Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So this example, it's kind of along the same lines, but it's showing something a little bit different. Um, it's showing that Jesus demands the first place in the life of his disciples. Any response to him that would put him as one among many is simply what he would say a uh, would be an unworthy response, and if you grew up in church like I did, um, sometimes we can be numb to some of these, like some of these high calls. I once heard a uh, a teacher or a pastor say, you know, we can us who grew up in the church can kind of have a different compartment of the crazy stuff Jesus says and put it in that compartment and just leave it there and not have to worry about it. Um, but these are real things that Jesus said. Um, and there are real demands, they're real commandments, and so we do have to come to terms with them. Um, But what does it look like to be able to, at the same time, embrace the free grace that he gives to us, but at the same time, embrace the radical cost of discipleship, what does that look like? I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to overemphasize one or the other, um, and kind of be like a teeter totter than being able to live into both because it's it's hard to do both um, and this isn't really like a theoretical question I think it is very much um, relevant for what by nature what it means to be a disciple um, so I'm not sure if this has ever been like a question you've wrestled with or asked yourself um, but this is yeah this is one that I've been wrestling through the last couple of years and um, just wanted to share some of the insights that God has, God has graciously um, taught me. By no means am I an expert on this, um, just a fellow sojourner on this. Um, for me, the, the glue um, for these two things um, has been Philippians 3, verses two to 11. Um, so that's what I wanted to spend our time together looking at is uh, Philippians 3 verses 2 to 11. So um, if you do have a Bible, I encourage you to open it um, to Philippians 3 verses 2 to 11. Um, if not, it be- yeah, will be on the screen. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do is just share a couple of um, insights. I don't think anything here will be too profound or new, um, but sometimes... Old truths are are good truths to to remember. Um, But here we are. um, So Philippians 3, verses 2 to 11. So this section of Paul's letter is all about the value and the worth of Christ. Um, And so from the the beginning, I'll kind of share where I'm going with this. Um, So the main takeaway for me um, has been that the demand and the cost of discipleship It comes due to the value and the worth of the gift that we're given. So the very nature of the gift and the immense value of it makes the radical demands of all of our will and all of our love necessary. So um, I'll go ahead and read Philippians 3 verses 2 to 11. Starting in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, The righteousness from god that depends on faith that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection of the dead so i wanted to share mostly from verses 7 to 11 but um, before doing that i wanted to just run through and give a little bit of context um, to where we are in the book of Philippians. Um, So chapter 3 is about midway through the book of Philippians, um, which if you've read through Philippians, uh, it's very much, uh, the overall tone of it is very joyful and very um, encouraging, um, which makes verse 2 of chapter 3 a little bit abrupt, um, where Paul is starting to warn the Philippian believers. He says, look out three times. So look out, look out, look out. And he's warning the Philippian believers to look out for who he calls dogs and evildoers, which is pretty strong language. Um, so who, are they, who is he talking about? Uh, well, he's talking about a group um, called Judaizers. Um, so these were a group in, during that time of Jewish, uh, like a Jewish group who claimed to be believers um, in Jesus, the Messiah. But they also taught that observing the law was needed to be saved, was needed for salvation. Um, That, you know, they would have said, yes, absolutely, Jesus died for sin. But at the same time, um, but really to be accepted by God, you have to be circumcised. You have to become Jewish. You have to keep the law. You have to eat um, a certain diet. And that's what really makes you belong to the real people of God. And it's striking um, just how strongly Paul denies this. Um, the Judaizers were teaching that, you know, we're superior. We, you know, we're Jewish. We're the chosen people of God. We have the law. We're circumcised. All of these things. And Paul just comes back and says, Philippian believers, you do not let them look down on you. Don't let them trick you. Um, and he calls them the true circumcision, meaning you Philippian believers and not this group. You guys are the real believers and uses um, true circumcision. It's very ironic. So kind of almost like a jab at the, the um, Judaizers. And he marks what, so and he names, what are the distinguishing marks of a believer? They are worshiping by the spirit, glorying in Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in the flesh So belonging to God, it's not a matter of, I eat this, I don't eat this, I have these markings on my body, I follow these traditions, even I follow these rules. That's not what makes a person belong to the people of God. What makes someone belong to the people of God, what identifies them is living and worshiping by the Holy Spirit, being led by the power of the Holy Spirit glorying in Jesus Christ, so glorying in just means um, putting your confidence in, putting your hope in Jesus Christ, and negatively, not putting any confidence in the flesh, so putting confidence in, oh, what I can produce, um, what I can do on my own apart from God. So Paul warns these Philippian believers to not buy into the false teachings that the Judaizers are selling, Um what they what they were selling was you need more you need something more than Christ to be to really belong to the people of God. So, having warned um, the Philippian believers of this false um, teaching of this false way, and establishing you know this is what a real what makes you belong to the real people of God, and this is what doesn't. Um, Paul takes a little bit of a detour in verse four, and I think it's really interesting. Um, and he almost is a, as if to like play the, the Judaizers' game for a minute. He says, okay, I've, so I've warned against you. Let me just play your game for a second, play by your rules, um, and I'm going to show the futility of your teaching by beating you at your own game. So Paul starts to name his credentials of his former way of life. So um, you can see that in, starting in verse 4 he starts naming these credentials. Um, So the first one, he says, okay, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So you Judaizers, you guys are so proud that you are, you have the mark of being the people of God. Um, But you know what? I do too. I was circumcised on the eighth day just like the law says I should. Not only that, yes, you are Israelites. You are proud of that. Oh, you know, so am I. I'm of the people of Israel. Not only that, Um, Also of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a, this tribe was known for being like a more pure tribe. They were able to trace their their ancestry all the way back to Benjamin and ultimately to Abraham. And not only that, but uh, I was also, this is Paul talking by the way, um, I was also a Pharisee. Pharisees were this like very highly educated group um, who were highly respected. They obeyed the law. They thought really highly of the law. I'm sure you've run into them if you've been reading uh, if you've been reading through the Bible. Not only that, um, not only did I belong to this group, but I also was a zealous persecutor of the church. So I was more zealous than even the most zealous Pharisee. And finally, to cap it all off, he says as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So all of the laws in the Old Testament, all of the laws in the in the first five books of the Old Testament, I kept every single one of them. And we know he's talking like outwardly, right? Um, so that's a pretty impressive list of credentials. That's pretty impressive. That would kind of make most people sort of scurry off in shame. Um, but he shares all that not to really boast about himself, but to build it up to just, kind of tear it down and to say, you know, I went higher than anyone else. I did more than anyone else. I was better than anyone else, but at the ultimately it was meaningless um, because in comparison to the value and worth of Christ, um, all that stuff is powerless to be able to gain me the greatest treasure, which is Christ. So that's some context. Um, so now I wanted to mostly look at verses seven to 11 um, and wanted to key in on three lessons or three pillars uh, of the Christian life that we can draw out from these um, few verses. And so these lessons have helped me to think rightly um, and by, with God's help to live rightly in the light of his free, but also very costly grace. So lesson number one um, from these verses is gaining Christ is a matter of grace and not merit. So verses seven and nine. So Paul has a very impressive list of accolades and a very impressive resume. Um, These things once were his identity, once were his gain. Um, But once he came into contact with the risen Christ, everything that he once held as gain, it changed categories and it went to the loss category. So the words he uses for gain and loss, they're accounting words, they're words um, meaning talking about money. So like gain and loss of revenue, um, like negative and positive numbers. So what would make him change? So these really high accomplishments, they once were gain, now they're over here, now they're loss. Well, all that he earned all that he did, all that he accomplished was meaningless and he was still poor in the end in gaining the ultimate value of Christ. So any accomplishment or goodness that he could bring to the table was worthless to gain him a right relationship and a right standing with God. And the same is true for us. I mean, we can copy and paste this into our own lives. Um, Anything that we can bring, anything that we can do, anything that we can produce, anything that we can become, no matter how good or how impressive to the world, it cannot earn us the blessing of being counted as a friend of God. And um, verse nine provides a little bit of clarity in why would Paul change his mind about um, his change of value from thinking this old life was gained to loss. Um, he, ta- he uses two ways of describing coming into a relationship with Christ. Um, and I think that they're very beautiful. Um, the first is gaining him. And then the second one is being found in him. And I think these are like telling ways of, uh, of w- what we can see of how Paul sees having a relationship with Christ. Um, so gaining him, we gain him because he's a valuable prize and we are found in him. So in him is like covenantal language where um, we're covenanted to him like a partner, like a covenant partner. Um, So for him, the beauty and the worth of knowing Jesus in an experiential relationship made utter just loss of his old life of trying to be good enough and earn him by his own efforts. So none of this came to Paul, Um, so none of the benefits of Jesus came to Paul, um, but it was given to him as a free gift. And the same is true for us. We come to become partakers of Christ uh, solely on the basis of his death and resurrection, whereby he takes our sin and our guilt, um, and we get what is his, his righteousness, as we can see in verse 9. And this is all received um, just by simply looking unto Jesus. That's what faith is, looking out of yourself to him. Um, and that—and then it becomes ours. So this was probably quite refreshing for Paul. Um, after all of his uh, striving and earning, this would have come as a breath of fresh air, I'm sure. And this new way of relating to God, I know it's so contrary to our deepest intuitions, um, even for all of us. We so naturally tend to think that we're accepted based on what we can contribute and what we can bring to the table. Um, But instead, we're accepted to him based on his contribution. So this has been just a very significant foundation um, for my life, and I think for all of our lives as disciples, um, because I don't know about you, um, I certainly need to remind myself of this truth a lot. Um, I find it very easy to forget um, and very easy to revert into that old way of thinking of, oh, I'm, I'm accepted based on my goodness. God loves me when I'm good. God loves me when I'm performing, when I'm producing. And I'm um, not sure, you know, how aware you are of that struggle in your own life, but um, I once heard a um, like a diagnostic question, I read this in a book, and it was really challenging to me. Um, and it really exposes practically where we're putting our confidence, where are we finding our confidence. So um, it's the tale of two days. So day number one, you wake up right when your alarm clock goes off, you spend some time in the Word, you have a good time of prayer, um, you listen to your worship music on your way to work, you know, maybe you share the gospel with a co-worker, you come home, have uh, your family devotions, then you kneel, by, kneel down by your bed to pray, feeling pretty good, right? Second day, you wake up late, don't have time to read the Bible, um, get to work in a rush, kind of get Irked by someone by someone who just kind of throws you off all day on the way home someone cuts you off and you feel frustrated and you maybe respond in a way you're not so proud of and you know you don't have time to do the family devotions. Um, then you you know you kneel down by your bed to pray and um, on which day do you feel that God loves you more? God accepts you more? For most of us, practically, on the first day we feel pretty confident going into God's presence. But on this, if we're really believing the gospel, we're just as loved and just as accepted um, on both days because we're not accepted based on, based on anything good in us. Oh. So that is helpful to help us to diagnose, where, where is my confidence really? So in our world, we're so used to that. We're so used to this employee-employer relationship where I need to perform, and I need to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm accepted. And oftentimes, we can kind of smuggle that in into the Christian life. Um, but with God, we're accepted, and then he calls us to be who we already are in him. I think the um, in this, I always think of um, that adoption is a really good Um, representation of this truth. I don't know um, if many people know, some people do, um, two of my siblings are adopted. So I have two adopted siblings. And um, so this kind of hits home for me um, in how we are brought into a relationship with Christ. So in adoption, um, a child is chosen and adopted not based on their ability to be able to conform to the family standards. They're chosen. They're adopted. They're brought into the family. They're legally given a new last name, given an identity. Okay, you belong. Now, all right, now that you're in the family, now that you bear our last name, um, yeah, come on. Let me teach you how we do things here. Let me teach you how we do the dishes together. Let me teach you how we talk to each other. Hey, actually, we don't, we don't say those words in here, but it's on the basis that you're part of our family that we expect these things from you. And that's how it is with us. Um, and this is a firm and steady foundation um, for us for living the Christian life. So lesson number two, looking mostly here at verse eight, is gaining Christ involves a radical reorientation of our values. So in verse seven, um, Paul is talking about um he counts all things or he counts um, his old life his old accomplishments in Judaism as loss but then in verse 8 he kind of expands it a bit to say no actually I count all things as loss everything and so why would why would he say that why would he say that he counts all things as loss it's not as if these things were bad and they needed to be given up but um, but what Paul is doing is by saying that by comparison of what I gained in Jesus, all of these other things are counted like they're, like they're actually loss. When Paul says in verse eight, um, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, this wasn't like a hypothetical situation, like, oh, if this would have happened to me, I would do this. This actually happened to him. He lost, he really lost everything and um, But he's quick to remind us that it wasn't a sacrifice. It was like throwing away garbage to him. That's what he says. The word rubbish, um, in your translation, it might say refuse. It means um, something that's left over that to, um, to be thrown away. So it really does mean garbage. Um, so the surpassing value of seeing and knowing Christ dwarfed the things that he once counted as most valuable. And the one, the things that he saw um, once as valuable, he counted like they're rubbish. So coming into contact with Christ, it led to a radical reorientation of what Paul found to be valuable. And um, I couldn't help but read that verse, and think of the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with that. Um, The story that Jesus tells um, of a man who is walking along, and he is in a field, and he stumbles upon a, a treasure chest in a field, and he looks at it, considers it, and sees, whoa, this is way more valuable than anything I own, anything I ever could owe. So he closes it up, covers it up and goes home and joyfully sells all that he has in order to go buy that field to have the treasure. So it doesn't, doesn't say that he begrudgingly goes and sells everything. He's, in his joy, he goes and sells everything because he knows that what he's getting is better. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying here is that um, Jesus reorienting our values in changing what we value, it makes sacrifice easy, easier. So the point um, when Paul says, I lost everything, it's not to make us say, oh wow, Paul is so sacrificial, or for us to think, oh wow, like what do I need to give up? The point is to show how coming into contact with Christ for Paul, led to a necessary reorienting of his values. So the value that he gained in Christ made selling everything easy. So we do, we do, we gain him for free. We gain Christ for free, as we already saw. But what we gain is also very valuable. And if we are to gain him truly, everything will become more and more expendable in comparison to him. So for this, this lesson was probably the most um, significant to me of the three. Um, just thinking about all the places in the Bible where we're called to sacrifice things. Um, and there are, there are real calls to sacrifice. And... Um, Oftentimes that can become the point in our minds, but um, I'm more and more convinced that the the sacrifice in scripture, it's not the point. It's true, it's there, but it's not the point. Um, The point of the calls to sacrifice and radical commitment is to highlight the value of what we gain and not to highlight what we lose or what we must give up. Um, That we gain him and that he is more valuable, that's the point of all of of the calls to sacrifice. So whether it be Jesus calling us to love him more than father and mother, calling us to take up our cross and follow him, the point is not the sacrifice. The point isn't what we give up, Um, but there there is a real sacrifice. The point is his worth and his value, reorienting what we value, making sacrifice much easier. And as I was thinking about it, I was considering, um, or maybe I heard it from someone, um, All everything that we do, every decision that we make is based on gaining what we think is the most valuable. And in the pursuit of gaining something that's the most valuable, we're willing to pay the cost and sacrifice. So whether it be jobs or um, moving, things like that, um, we're always looking to gain the highest value. And I was trying to find an example, and this story came to mind um, to highlight the point. Um, I remember when I was in high school, um, so I grew up at another church in Riverside, and there was a really beloved high school pastor. And um, one day he announced that um, he was going to move to another part of California, and everyone was like, "Uh, why? Why are you doing this? Everyone loves you. You're awesome, and the whole community loves you, and you've lived here for a long time, and you have all these friends. And um, he was explaining that, um, I don't remember the details, but His son had some, um, like, breathing issues. I think it was asthma or something like that. Um, And living in Southern California was really hard on his breathing. Um, And so for the sake of his son's health, they packed up everything, left a church that, like, loved them, and they were so, like, in the community and, like, had so many friends here um, and left. And although I'm sure that was a hard decision, um, they went ahead and made that decision Um, based on what they found most valuable and they were willing to make the sacrifice necessary. So their son's health was more valuable making the sacrifice, which I'm sure was a huge sacrifice, made it a lot easier for them. So the same is for us. So everything is more expendable compared to receiving the highest value. So, the grace that God gives us and the cost of commitment to following him, these things are not at odds at all. They actually go really well together. The very nature of the gift and its immense value is what makes the radical demands of all of our will and all of our love necessary. So um, I'm finding that's very easy to say. Um, It's easy to read about. Um, But asking myself, is that a reality in my life? Can I really with straight face and clear conscience say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Has he so reoriented my values that he has the right to take and to change anything that he wants? And I give him the freedom to do that. That's a question I've been asking myself, um, and I encourage you to ask yourself that as well. Uh, Lesson number three. Gaining Christ means we share all that we have with him, and he shares all that he has with us. So looking mostly at verses 10 and 11. Um, In verses 10 and 11, Paul goes on to list what it means to share in Christ's life. So being found in Christ, as we saw in verse nine, means that we share all that we are with um, that we share with Him all that we are, and that we get all who He is. So, what does it li- what does it mean to share in our life with Him? Um, so, just to name some of the things that Paul names, um, one is to know Him. So, to know Him, to know Him in experience. That that word know means to know Him like. Um, you know a friend, to know them experientially. Um, to share his power. So we are, when we become joined with Jesus, when we share with Jesus, we share in his power, in, his holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power that, um, of his resurrection life, the power to live a new life. So those things are, are pretty exciting. Um, but then he says that we also share in his sufferings. So Jesus definitely suffered a lot. Um, He's even called the man of sorrows, the suffering servant. So we become partakers with him in his suffering too. We don't get to pick and choose what we share with him in. We share all. And also, uh, it says we share in his death. Um, Share in a death like his is what Paul says. So how do we share in a death like his? Well, we die to ourselves. We die to our own will of being, you know, being our own rulers of our own lives. Um, And we submit completely to the will of God, just like Jesus. Um, And we share in his resurrection as well. That's very exciting to share in eternal life with him. So when we share in Christ, we share all that we are with him so that we get all of what he is. We don't get to pick and choose. I want this part of Jesus and not this part. Um, so we get everything we get the close relationship, we get his power working in us, we get his sufferings we get the dying to ourselves um, and ultimately we get eternity with him um, so this is the this is the Christian life so uh, Jesus is a free gift um, but he is also a very costly gift uh, we we share in all of his benefits um, but In return, we share all of ourselves with him. We don't hold anything back. We don't get to hold anything back from him. The Bible sometimes talks about believing in Jesus as receiving him. So like receiving a person. Um, So in receiving a person, we receive a real living person, not an idea. And as we all know, um, when we come into relationship with someone, relationships cost something. There's a cost to a relationship. Um, Because when you're in a relationship, you share yourself. And you give the person um, access to yourself. So sharing in a real relationship with someone means that you get to share in the joys and the pains of knowing that person. So with an object, like a phone or any other object, we get to use that we can pick it up and put it down, use it, you know, at our disposal on our terms. But with relationships, uh, with a real relationship, um we can't do that. So with a, in a real relationship, we cannot say I I really only want to be around you when you're fun to be around or, you know, I want to have a relationship with you, but you know, only like with the good stuff, only when you make me feel good about myself. Everything else, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. If there's sacrifice, you know, count me out at that point. Uh, that's not how relationships work, and um, our relationship with Christ is not any different. So, with real love and real relationship, um, we share in the hardships of that relationship and even the the difficult things. Um, so to have Jesus Christ means he has all of me, all the rights to my life, and in return I get all of him. So this passage, uh, it's been so great um, just to read through it and to just prepare for this and just to kind of reflect and hone in some of these ideas um, but this passage really has helped me and demonstrated for me to understand how we can receive the, the free gift of God's grace, um, receiving Christ as a whole person, and see how this is the impetus or like how it leads to obeying his radical calls of denying myself and putting all of my will in submission to his. So his grace makes these calls a light and easy yoke, um, but at the same time, uh, these demands are very real. And that can be challenging as well, because I don't I know for myself, I find myself all too ready to excuse myself um, when I come across some of these demands, um, just, you know, sub, even subconsciously, maybe using grace as an excuse. But reading this passage in preparation um, has been really good. And it's reminded me, um, it's really, it's good to have these correct categories in our heads. Um, And it's really helpful. Um, But I've been challenged, and I want to challenge you on the basis of God's word. Um, How can we put this into practice? How can we live in this reality? It's not... um, not really an option. It's not optional for us. This is what it means to be his disciple. And so what I wanted to share kind of in closing um, were three questions, um, three reflection questions that I've been asking um, myself. And if uh, Max and Susan, if you guys could uh, come up, that would be awesome. So just if we could, um, just in response to the word of God, I wanted to spend some time in prayer and reflection over letting this passage kind of come to bear on all of our lives. Um, And then definitely wanted to spend some time praying for the team as well. So I'll uh, I'll name the question one by one. And if you, as I do, if you could just spend some time in reflection um, in prayer and just opening yourself um, before God and knowing that I'm sure every single one of us is gonna be convicted by these questions as I am. We are small and we are inadequate, um, but we are running to him to receive his mercy. And we are very, very dependent upon his spirit to change us and to live the life that he calls us to live. Um, It is a wonderful life and we all fall short of it. So I encourage you um, to keep that in mind as as we reflect and as we pray. So question number one, have I received Jesus for all that he is? Am I finding confidence in myself, in my own goodness, in my obedience, in my good character, in my position, in my status? I resonate with the second day of just feeling so much more confident when I'm doing good than when I feel like I'm failing where is my confidence and how can I put it more in Jesus Valuable treasure in my life. Does my life, do my thoughts, to my desires, does my time, my talent, my treasure, does it reflect that I value him more than anything else, that everything else is lost in comparison to knowing him? Does Jesus really have the permission to do anything he wants in my life? Am I really willing to share all that I am with him? All parts of me, all of my dreams, all of my hopes, all of my aspirations, or are there parts of my life where are off limits to him? hold it out of his reach where i keep it to myself where jesus you can have every you can have all of this stuff over here but not not this part That we fall short of, of this and we know that we are accepted in you, we are loved in you, and we ask that you would teach us, teach us this way, teach us to become the people who count everything as lost compared to the surpassing worth, knowing you, would you help us, we need you, pray this in Jesus' name. Um, lastly, uh, so we do, as we've mentioned a couple times, um, we do have our team probably in the air or at an airport right now. Um, but for the next two weeks, they will be ministering in Malawi. Um, sounds like they have a lot of really awesome things, plans. And as I was just thinking of the team, um, in many ways they can be an example of what we've talked about and how a lot of them have sacrificed their time and their vacation, their comfort um, to go and and serve um, because Jesus and his gospel are worth it. So sacrificing personal time and, and comforts uh, are worth it to, to share the treasure that we have that we all have and we can all do that every day um, to share him we tend to share things that we find valuable so if we find something valuable we'll want to tell other people about it and, um, so in our time in our money in our energy in our speech um May he be the, mo- the most valuable to us. So let's spend some time praying. Um, we've got three prayer topics that we can um, be praying for the team. So the first, um, let's spend a couple, maybe a minute or so. We can pray for team unity. So we have um, we have several individuals from our church, and I know they're partnered with a couple of churches from. Southern California area as well as um, some churches in Malawi. So pray for church unity, um, for for unity among all the team and that they would bring glory to God and, and how unified they are and how they love one another and they're one in purpose. So let's spend some time praying for unity. second. Um, let's pray for spiritual fruit. So they're going to be laboring, they're going to be um, sharing the gospel, they're going to be doing Bible studies with students. So let's pray for spiritual fruit in the lives of those who they're ministering to, and also spiritual fruit in their own lives as well. So let's pray for that spiritual fruit. for protection for them. Whenever you're, you know, you're far from home, especially this far from home, definitely want to pray for protection physically, spiritually, all, all of the above. Let's pray for protection for our team. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, just the opportunity for this team to be able to go and minister um, to the Malawian students. Thank you for all their willingness to go, and um, just for also just the willingness for our church to send them. Just the, the generosity and the prayers and um, all the all the things um, that have been done in preparation even though only eight people went, we all sent them and we all had a part. And so that is good. It is so good to see that. Um, So we're so encouraged and we pray for unity, unity um, for all the the teams to be one in purpose, to be united in your name, to show um, just a united front that your gospel unites people from different cultures and languages just for your spirit to be at work um, for spiritual fruit for those who know you to be deepened in their faith for those who don't know you to come to know you um, and even for those ministering to be deepened in their faith and deepened in their understanding of you as well and we also pray for protection God that you would be gracious and bring everyone um, back safe that you would protect them from um, the enemy Trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.